to his church uh, throughout these letters uh, written to communities that were scattered throughout what is now modern day uh, Turkey. But we have found uh, that these letters are to us. Uh, They are letters for us. And so would you join me once again in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, would you give us those ears? Would you give us that ability to hear what the Spirit continues to say to the churches? uh, Continues to say to us. This is, uh, in some ways, a disturbing message of Jesus. And so would you help us? Would you give us understanding? Would you give us humility? Would you help us to receive the life-giving seed of your word? uh, That it may produce the fruit of your righteousness in our lives to your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up uh, here in the American South where if you were serving someone a beverage... Uh, say iced tea, uh, you place an emphasis on the iced part, right? You, you serve it cold enough to make your teeth hurt. And uh, when I was in college, I had an opportunity to travel for the first time outside of the U.S., And I was shocked by the apparent ice shortage around the world. There was apparently this crisis because when I was served beverages, they would maybe have one piece of ice and shockingly, offensively, sometimes they didn't have any ice at all. (laughs) The temperature of beverages changes according to custom and culture. Now, if you lived in Laodicea, the ancient city of Laodicea, and you had someone over to your house, you would serve them wine. And in serving them wine, you had two options. You could serve it chilled, or you could serve it heated. But you would never, ever serve at room temperature. That was considered rude, and it was actually considered dangerous. 
It was considered a health hazard to serve at room temperature. And in this text, Jesus takes that hospitality custom and he uses it to confront the spiritual condition of his church. He says, I know your works and you have served me room temperature wine. And I'm offended. More than offended, Jesus is disgusted. Verse 16, the word for spit is the word for vomit. He is sick to his stomach. Now that is strong language, isn't it? For many of us, that is scary language. Is he talking about me? Is Jesus disgusted with me? Do I make Jesus sick to his stomach? Is he talking about me? Is he talking about us? Well, feeling the weight of those questions, I want us to consider this spiritual condition this morning. The spiritual condition of being lukewarm. And I want to consider it as an illness, a sickness. And so, lukewarm in two parts. Diagnosis and cure. All right, first of all, diagnosis. Now, when we hear lukewarm, we think emotion. We think, I don't feel what I should feel. I don't feel passionately enough about God or passionately enough about missions. And and while there is an emotional component here, that's not the heart of it. Emotion is not unimportant, but that is not the heart of this problem of being lukewarm. Think about it. Notice the contrast. What does Jesus want instead of lukewarm? Either cold or hot, right? So I want you to be, he says, one thing, not halfway between two things. And then he clarifies that in verse 19. What does he want instead of being lukewarm? He says, be zealous and repent. Now that word zealous in the New Testament is most often translated with the, with, the, with the English word jealous. It's the word for jealousy. Now sometimes jealousy can be bad. It can be sinful. It's something that needs to be confronted. But sometimes jealousy can be good. It can be positive. God is said to be jealous for his people. So what makes jealousy positive? When is jealousy a good thing? Jealousy is a good thing when it promotes and protects an exclusive relationship. Right? We all understand that there are certain exclusive relationships in our life that we should be jealous for. That should be protected. That should be promoted. I mean, even in all of the ways that our culture wants to redefine marriage, we still have the desire to say to someone, you will play a unique role in my life. You will play a role in my life that no one else would play, will play. 
And what God does in Jesus is he creates the most important exclusive relationship with his people. And jealousy is an attentiveness to that exclusivity. It is an intentional action to promote and to protect that exclusivity. You see, our supreme and our highest love should be for God and for Him alone. Our supreme, our highest loyalty should be for God and for Him alone. Our commitment to Him, our identification with Him, should shape all other commitments, all other identities. And so Jesus here is inviting us to share His pursuit of that exclusive relationship. To share His attention to that exclusive relationship. And when we do not share that pursuit, that attention, we become lukewarm. Other places, people, things begin to play the role that only Jesus should play. Something else becomes our highest authority, our greatest good, our deepest trust. That's what it is to become lukewarm. Now, how does that happen? What causes this sickness? Verse 17. You say that that I am rich. I have prospered. Affluence. Material wealth is the greatest cause of the problem of lukewarmness. So yeah, this is a message for us. We need to be reminded that as we mark July 4th this week, that in the history of the world, there has never been a group of more affluent Christians than American Christians. American churches. So we live with the danger of affluence. Material wealth. Now in scripture, material wealth is not inherently bad. But it is inherently dangerous. Why? Why is affluence inherently dangerous? Back to verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have prospered, what's that third phrase? I need nothing. There's a famous story about the city of Laodicea. In 60 AD, a massive earthquake devastated that region. And the city of Rome, the most powerful, prosperous city in the world, reached out to the city of Laodicea. And they offered generous aid to help them recover. And Laodicea responded and said, no thanks. We got this. We don't need your help. This city was so wealthy that they could recover from a major natural disaster on their own. This city was home to a vibrant, financial, powerful financial institutions, uh, to medical, cutting-edge medical research, including the production of an ointment that helped ailing eyes. 
and a thriving textile industry for the purpose of making clothes. Hear those images play through this passage. See what's happened to the church? In the abundance of resources around them, they had forgotten their lack apart from Christ. In their wealth, they had forgotten their need. They had forgotten that apart from the one who is the Amen, the yes to all of God's promises, they were naked in the shame of their sin. They had forgotten that apart from the one who is the true and faithful witness, they were blind to the most important truth. They had forgotten that apart from the one who is the source of God's first creation and the power of his new creation, they were impoverished in their weakness. Here's the danger of wealth. Wealth feeds the illusion of self-sufficiency. Affluence lies to us and says you can get to a place where you're free of need. You can get to a place where you no longer have need. And so it lies to us about the fundamental poverty of the human condition. Apart from Christ. That apart from him. No matter how much money we have or don't. No matter how many houses we have or don't. No matter how much luxury we have or don't. No matter how much retirement fund we have or don't. Apart from Christ. We are all pitiable. Poor. Blind. And naked. And when we don't need Jesus. We replace him. And we become lukewarm. Gerard Manley Hopkins, in one of his great poems, wrote, Thirst is all in all in a world of wet. Thirst is all in all in a world of wet. We live in a world of wet. We live in a world of abundance that tries to convince us That we can be without need. An abundance that promises to banish need and to satisfy all desire. We live in a world of wet, but that is a lie. And what we need is the truth of our thirst. Maybe I'd adjust Hopkins' line for Americans and say that pain is all in all. In a world of anesthetics. Pain is all in all. In a world of anesthetics. Here's what wealth does. And when I say wealth. I mean I mean that in a very broad sense. Not just the money in the bank. But our access to entertainment. Our, our access to all sorts of things. Information. Wealth numbs the wound. That we all have. Without healing. It's like getting anesthetics without a surgeon. And to not know the pain of the wound is extraordinarily dangerous, right? But that's what wealth allows us to do. It allows us to numb the wound without having the wound healed. 
It is no surprise then that the wealthiest nation in the history of the world is also addicted to pain medication and a host of other numbing activities because we don't know how to feel pain. We don't know how to feel lack and need. So, do you know your need of him? That's the diagnostic question for lukewarmness. Not, how do you feel about Jesus today? But do you know your need for him? Or are you buying the lie? The lie that wealth can banish need. Because when you do, you will become inattentive to the one who is worthy of your supreme love. Do you know your need of him? So what do we do? What do we do? This is a message for us, okay? Of any of these letters, I think this one speaks most clearly or has the most similarities to the church in America, okay? So what do we do? How do we respond? Well, let's move from diagnosis to cure. And Jesus seems to give contradictory instructions here. He says, all these terrible words, right? You're poor, pitiable, wretched, you know, like you're, know your need, know how poor you are. And then immediately after, verse 18, he says, come and buy. You're poor? Now come and buy. Come and buy extremely expensive products that are better than the ones you can find in Laodicea. Come and buy gold. Come and buy white garments. Come and buy an an ointment that can truly deal with your blindness. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, now it does echo the Old Testament. It echoes a beautiful passage in Isaiah 55 where God says to his people, He who is without money, come and buy buy bread and eat. So, pay with money you don't have for something that you can't afford. I don't think Dave Ramsey would agree with that. (laughs) Pay with money you don't have for something that you can't afford. What is Jesus doing? What is God doing in Isaiah? He's using paradoxical language to introduce us and invite us into a radical new economy. The economy of God's kingdom, which is an economy of gift. Jesus is saying you have to come to me And get something that you can't afford. You have to come to me and get something that you cannot earn. You have to come to me and receive something that you can receive only, only as a gift. Because he purchased it for us. Think about it. Think about it. What does the New Testament say? He says... It says Jesus became poor so that we could be made rich in the grace of God. Jesus, in his trial, he was blindfolded and punched and mockingly asked, Who hit you? He was blinded so that we can see. Jesus, on the cross, hung naked so that he could dress us in a righteousness that is not our own. That's the cure. That is the cure. 
for lukewarmness. He is the cure. The cure isn't to get better at hosting. The cure is to receive Him and His works. And not to do that once. When we hear that, when we say receive Christ, we think that's for people who aren't Christians. But who's Jesus talking to here? He's talking to His church. He's talking to people who have been Christians for a while. And He is saying the cure for your lukewarmness is to once again receive Me. And to receive My gifts. Do you notice how in verse 20 He brings hospitality back? Right? Verse 16, he is sick to his stomach. But what do we find out in verse 20? He hasn't left. He's still there, calling, knocking, longing to sit at the table and eat with his people. The language of verse 20 is uncomfortably close to the language of the Song of Solomon. Where a man in love pursues his beloved, calling out her name. And knocking on her door. That is the desire of Christ for his people. That is the desire of Christ for his people. And he knocks on the door and he doesn't say, go to Pinterest and find better table settings. And find better recipes. Become better hosts. Get better hosting skills. No, what is he saying? Hear and open. The cure isn't to to become a better host. It is to receive and spend time with the right guest. It is to receive Christ and His gifts. Our supreme love for Him will be renewed and sustained Only by contemplating, dwelling in His costly love for us. The end of the year, uh, the school year rolled around a month or so ago. And uh, as the end of the school year rolled around, my wife was trying to help my kids express their appreciation for their teachers. And so she brought cards, and to our two older kids, she handed those cards and said, I want you to write your gratitude to your teachers. But our, our youngest son isn't quite there with his writing. Um, and so she wrote the card for him. But she wanted to write it in his words. And so she said, Sammy, why do you like Mrs. Carroll, who was a great teacher? Why do you like Mrs. Carroll? And Sammy's response was, because she gives me candy. <laughs> and so Jess tried to rephrase the question and tried to give hints to draw something more meaningful from him. But he refused. He was set on because she gives me candy. That was it. That's why she, he likes Miss Carol. Now, that's okay for a four-year-old. But my hope is that Sammy will mature and deepen his appreciation for teachers. Right? Deepen his understanding of how much a good teacher sacrifices for the sake of his education. The vision of this text of how Jesus relates to his people, is inviting us into that process of maturity. That process of growth. Because listen, if your enjoyment of Jesus is because he gives you candy, 
Because he fixes that immediate problem, gives you the spouse you want, gives you the kids you want, gives you the job you want, makes you successful at that job you want. If your enjoyment, appreciation of him is because he gives you candy, that will not sustain a faithful love to him. Because when you are inevitably disappointed, because you will be disappointed, you'll just move on to another candy dispensary. And so what we should ask for What we should work towards is a growing awareness, a deepening gratitude for who he is, for how he is present with us, for these gifts that his cross and resurrection have and will bring into our lives. And His cross and His resurrection have given to us a value in the sight of God that is beyond numbers. It can't be measured by numbers. His cross and His resurrection, there is healing our eyes to perceive the most important truth, the truth of who God is and what He has done, the truth of the gospel, the message about Jesus. It is cross and resurrection is dressing us in our shame, wrapping us with his honor. And then gives us the hope that our bodies will be raised, restored, and seated on the throne of heaven with him. The cure is to receive, to enjoy, to celebrate that. That is what will cure our lukewarmness. And let me give you two practical ways to participate in that process of maturity. And let me emphasize process. It's not a moment. It's process. Process of maturity. Two ways to participate in that. First of all, prayer The practice of prayer that is more than a business meeting. Now, I want to be really careful here. The freedom of calling God Father is the freedom to bring everything to Him. All of our lives, all of our desires. We have the freedom to bring before our Father everything. And so, by saying that, I'm not limiting what you can bring to God. But I am saying, That prayer needs to go beyond just saying, God, I need you to do this, 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 and this, and I'll do this, 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 and this. Prayer needs to become more than a business meeting and reflect a little bit of the imagery of verse 20. So that we are spending time adoring, appreciating, who God is and what he has given us in Jesus. Now, again, emotions come and go. Emotional experiences come and go. As they do in any long-term relationship, right? In any long-term relationship, marriage, friendship, whatever. If it lasts, emotions are going to come and go. And so healthy long-term relationships develop habits of connection. That's what I'm talking about. You're developing a habit of connection 
with Christ. Here's a tool to help you do that. Community Bible reading. It's one tool among many. There are others. This is a tool that can help you develop a habit of connection. And I want to emphasize that this is not just reading two chapters of the Bible a day. This is a method for prayerfully responding to what you have read. A prayerful response that involves both adoration and appreciation. Expression of gratitude. So that's one practical way to participate in this process of maturity. A second one, that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here this morning. It is the gathered worship of Christ's church. This text, this message is addressed to a community before it is addressed to individuals. And so what we are trying to do this morning, as we sing, as we pray, as we eat, as we listen, we are trying to hear the voice. We are trying to hear the knock of Jesus and open the door to him. So do you value it? Do you come attentive, expectant of Jesus and his work? One of the reasons I have led us to taking communion weekly is so that we can practically apply this text every week. So that we can hear the voice of Jesus. We can hear the knock of Jesus. We can open the door. We can eat and drink with Him. So that our love for Him can be renewed and sustained by His costly love. His body and blood broken and poured out for us. That's the cure for lukewarmness. Let's pray.